So go ahead and open in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings chapter 4. We are going to continue on in walking through God's Word in 1 Kings. And so we've been in a series walking through this book. We've been seeing Solomon uh, becoming the king over God's people, and now he is established as the king. And we saw last week that God came to him, or two weeks ago, God came to him and said, hey, ask, what do you want? And he said, God, give me wisdom. And so God heard that prayer, and he honored it. And so last week we saw an example of his giving Solomon wisdom in order to give out justice to everyone in his kingdom. And, uh, and so this week we're going to see a further example of Solomon's wisdom and how he organizes his kingdom. So 1 Kings chapter 4 is where we're going to be starting in verse 1. And it said, King Solomon reigned over all Israel. And these were his officials, Azariah, son of Zadok, priest, Elihoreph and Ahijah, sons of uh, Shisha, secretaries, Jehoshaphat, son of Elihud, court historian, Beniah, son of Jehoiada, in charge of the army, Zadok and Abiathar, priests, Azariah, son of Nathan, in charge of the deputies, Zabud, uh, son of Nathan, a priest and advisor to the king, Ahishar, uh, in charge of the palace, and Adoniram, son of Abda, in charge of the forced labor. And Solomon had 12 deputies for all Israel, and they provided food for the king and his household, and each one made provision for one month out of the year. These were their names, Ben-Hur in the hill country of Ephraim, Ben-Decker in Machaz, Shaalbim, Bethshel, uh, cut off in my Bible, Beth-Shemesh, and elon beth Hanan, Beth-Hesed in Araboth, he had Succo, and the whole land of Hefer. Ben Abinadab and all of Nephath Dor, uh, and this was Solomon's, uh, Solomon's daughter, uh, Tapheth, was married to him. But Anna, son of Ahilud, and Ta'anak, Megiddo, and all of Beth Shean, which was be, uh, beside Zarethan below Jezreel, from Beth Shean to Abba as far as the other side of Jachmiam. Ben Geber, uh, in Ramath Gilead, he had the villages of Jair. Uh, son of Manasseh, which are in Gilead, and he had the, had the region of Argob, which was in Bashan, 60 great cities with walls and bronze bars. Ahinadab, son of Edo in Mahanaim, Ahimaaz, these are not English names if you're catching this, in Nephtali. He also had married the daughter of Solomon, Basim, Basemath, I don't know how you would say that name. Basemath, I don't know how to say that. Baana, son of Hushai, in Asher, in Bealoth. Jehoshaphat, son of Parua, in Issachar. Shimei, son of Elah, in Benjamin. Geber, son of Uri, in the land of Gilead, the country of King Sihon, of the Amorites, and of King Og, of Besham. There was one deputy in the land of Judah. All right, now we butchered that. Let's pray. So, Father, come before you, and we thank you. For your word, especially texts like this that are so mundane to us that we would look at and glance at and move on. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the glory that you have uh, revealed to us through things like this list of 
names. And so help us open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you want to say to us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll readily admit that was the worst reading. of. I've read over those names a lot of times prior to this. Uh, but you get up here on stage, and you're like, I cannot mess this up. And then you mess up. It's okay. So, uh, but I feel like it's important to read them all because the Spirit felt it was important for us to know these names. And, uh, and so for us to gloss over them would be to uh, say, that's probably not as important as you think it is, Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so we're going to, we're going we're gonna to hit it today. So here's a question for you. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. This is what we're talking about. Uh, here's a question for you. Is why is this here? Like, as we're reading First Kings in the 21st century, I don't care that Ben Decker was in Makaz and Sha'abim. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, like, why is this important for us? Like, why should I care about this? So this past week, uh, I went in our backyard and uh, we have a swing set, and we have a sandbox, which is a disaster. Don't ever get a sandbox. That's a disaster. But we have a sandbox, um, and, and those two things are pretty close to one another. And if you, I went out there, and I was looking around, and I'm not a yard guy. If you've, if you've seen my, my, my lawn, it's, it's, it's not ever going to win yard of the month. Um, and so I went out and I started looking at all these weeds and I'm fine with weeds. I can weed eat those suckers and at least they're green. My grass is still dead. Um, but I start looking and I, and I, I see all around our, our swing set and our, and our, uh, sandbox are sticker patches. The, the patches that, that are the weeds that have like stickers that if you step on it, it stabs you. And, uh, and so I start looking, I'm like, oh no. And so I see those, and I'm like, okay, well, I, can get, I, can, I guess I can get that one up. And I, then I start to look around, and I, I realize these sticker patches are covering my entire lawn. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. And so, like, I'm, I start to Google, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I put it on Facebook this past week, and I'm like, How, what do I do? And, and Brent, Brent says, <laughs> when you're asked for advice on Facebook, you're just asking to get kicked. Um, <laughs> but... But I asked on Facebook, like, what do I do about this? And most people who are yard people are like, yeah, dude, it's too late. You can't do anything about it now. I'm like, that's not helpful. And, uh, and so I, I went out, and they're like, listen, you have to pre-treat your lawn for weeds like that because after they're already up, they're, they're there. You can't, like, just magically get the stickers to go away. And, uh, and so the best thing you can do is start to pull them up by hand. And I'm looking at my lawn. I'm like... That's my entire lawn are these sticker patches. And so I'm like, okay, I guess that's what I'm going to do because it's surrounding everywhere my kids play. And they, they just run in and out, running out all day. And they're like two. And so like if they're going to step in stickers and then they're going to they're gonna stop and cry and then sit down in them. Like that's just what they would do. And so, and so I'm like, okay, well, when they go to bed, I'm going to go start digging these suckers up. And so we get our kids in bed. Dara went to her D group. Uh, our discipleship group, if, if you're unfamiliar. And, uh, and so I just, I, it's, it's getting dark. So I, I get my headlamp on and I'm in my backyard with a headlamp and our pie server digging up, <laughs> digging up all these weeds. And I'm not kidding. I had a, I had a bucket, like a bucket. I filled that thing to the top with sticker patches. And I, at some point, Dara came home at about 1130 and I'm just out there like, Digging, digging away and, and she's like searching she comes out and finds me and all of a sudden i'm like gollum like 
Yeah, it come up, like shine her in her face. And so, the, so I, I eventually I'm like, okay, I'm just going to call it quits tonight. I, I couldn't see anymore, but honestly, with the headlamp, you can't see that well. And uh, so I went to bed. I got up the next day, went outside, and I was like, wow, I did, that is, there's a lot more sticker patches out here than I thought. So here, why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you that? Because I had, I've had in my garage for a year, Scott's weed and feed. That would fix my problem. And then I had the winter guard sitting in there for six months. Had I done anything before that day, I could have prevented my problem. So why is this text important for you and me? Is because what Solomon is doing is this is under the heading of his wisdom from God. And so what Solomon is doing is he's taking steps to make his kingdom organized so that everyone can flourish in it and bring order to the chaos of his kingdom. That's what he's doing. Unlike me, where I just left the mundane tasks undone and I said, it'll be fine. And what I realized is when I put no effort into organizing what was happening in my yard, I got chaos. But Solomon here didn't take that route. He used God's wisdom to bring organization to his nation, and everyone flourished as a result. And this is really, this is godlike. Bringing order to chaos is godlike. This is what he does in Genesis chapter 1. What does Genesis chapter 1 say? At the very beginning, the first, or the second verse of the book of Genesis, so many pages going that way. The very first Verse, very first two verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse two, now the earth was what? Formless and empty. And darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the, and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. What is it saying? Is in the beginning, there was chaos. There was an earth-like place that was chaotic, that was inhabitable, and God was there, and he saw it was formless, and it was void. And so what does verse 3 say that he did? Then God said, let there be light. And he began his process, this poem of Genesis 1, of bringing order to the chaos of his world. In order to make it hospitable, the perfect place for you and me to be able to come and to flourish. And so what Solomon is doing is he's taking God's wisdom and becoming like God in bringing order to the chaos of his kingdom. Now, I want you to hear this, especially on Mother's Day, because how many mothers in this room do so many mundane tasks day in and day out for the good of your family to where you feel in the moment, this is the worst thing in the world. How many people in here actually like folding clothes? Does anyone like folding clothes? Does anyone actually like doing dishes? Does anyone actually like making extra copies at the copier machine for your class tomorrow? Like no one, does anyone like doing that? No. No one likes doing that stuff. But what happens is when we take action to do the mundane organizational tasks to bring order to our chaos for the next day so our family has f f 
good food to eat or clean clothes to wear or our class is prepared so they can come in and get ready and be ready to hit the ground running the next day. When we take moments to organize our lives and bring order to the chaos, we are being like God and we are demonstrating God's wisdom just like Solomon. That is what Solomon is teaching us here in 1 Kings 4. That's what Solomon is teaching us. So here's the question. Is what areas of your life are chaotic that you're neglecting or because you're neglecting? What areas of your life are chaotic because you're neglecting it? For example, for me, you know, when we were first married, Darren and I were first married, uh, I was, we were living in seminary. Our rent, this is amazing, 400 bucks a month. It was awesome, okay? I, at the time, like I'm fresh out of college, I've got to come up with $475. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's $475. Now I'm like, that's a, the dream. I want to pay. this. And so our rent was that. And, and Dara, I was working part-time doing master's degree and Dara was working full-time. And, and one month I started to, to look at our, our budget and, uh, cause I read the Dave Ramsey book and I started to, to think of like, well, where's all of our money going? Like, I don't even know. Like, I have no clue how much money we're spending on anything. I, I, I pulled up our Wells Fargo bank statement. That previous month, we spent $1,000 just eating out, going to Chewy's. No, I had no idea. I had no idea. But as a result, our finances were chaos. Because we were like, oh, I don't know. We don't have money to spend on that. Why don't we have money, money to spend on that? Because we ate it. That's why. How, how many areas of your life are chaotic because you're refusing or because you're neglecting, not just refusing. It's not, sometimes it's not blatant. Sometimes you just don't realize it. But how many areas of your life are chaotic because you're just neglecting just to spend time in organizing and putting effort into making it less chaotic? Because when you bring order to the chaos, you are being like God. Now, I want to look at this. So look at verse 2, because... That is big picture of what's happening here. But but let's get a little deeper, like saying, like, okay, what's actually going on here? So these are his officials. Azariah, son of Zadok, was his priest. That was his main high priest throughout his time. Elihoreph and Ahijah were his secretaries. Now, that was probably uh, had to do with secretary of state, but also correspondence with other nations, other officials. Those guys were in charge of that. And uh, Jehoshaphat was his court historian. So he was all about keeping records. He wanted, he wanted things written down of, of, of uh, uh, court cases, uh, different things happening within his kingdom. He wanted records of it. He wanted these things being kept. Number four was Benaiah, and that was his general, his, his army leader. Now, this is kind of an interesting side note here, because David, his dad, he had two lists like that of his own kingdom. He had two lists like this of his kingdom and of his cabinet. And you know the first person listed in, in both of David's list of his cabinet? His military commander. His military commander was the first guy listed in all of David's cabinet. Because David's kingdom was characterized by warfare, by conquest. and But Solomon here... We can see the shifting tide of their nation and that their military commander is actually number four in line. Who's number one listed under Solomon's kingdom after Solomon is organizing it out of God's wisdom? His priest. 
this priest who's mostly concerned with the relationship between Solomon's people and their God. That's just a note. Number five is Azariah. He was in charge of the deputies. So that was the guy who uh, was in charge of the deputies and their taxation. And uh, so we're going to talk about that in just a second. Then we had Ahishar. Oh, so we had uh, Zebud, the son of Nathan, who was a priest and an advisor to the king. And then you had uh, Ahishar, uh, who was in charge of his palace. And then Adoniram, who was in charge of the forced labor or the slaves. He was the labor secretary. Um, and it actually doesn't, he ends up getting killed in a riot from the slaves later on. But um, unfortunate for him. Uh, but... That was his cabinet, okay? Now, under his cabinet, there was a guy named Azariah, who we read about, who was in charge of the deputies. Well, who were the deputies? There were 12 deputies. So when Solomon is organizing his kingdom, when you're creating a vast kingdom, what do you need? Resources. You need to tax people in order to have your kingdom flourish in order for your government to be able to do anything you have to have resources or money to be able to do it and uh, and so he created 12 districts within his kingdom now this did not correspond to the 12 tribes of israel he left that tribal line behind and he created 12 new districts with new guys who were loyal to him and not to their tribes and, uh, and so these guys, I'm not going to read all these guys again, uh, but these guys were in charge of taxing or making sure their districts provide the right amount of taxes for their month. So what was taxed? Look at verse 22. Actually, go back to 20. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea, and they were eating and drinking and rejoicing. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines. And as far as the border of Egypt, uh, they offered tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Um, That is God's faithfulness in making Solomon the greatest king during his day, uh, in that all the nations surrounding him paid him tribute. Basically saying, hey, we understand you're more powerful than us, and so we're going to give you a peace offering. And Solomon's provisions for one day, catch this, were 180 bushels of fine flour. That sounds just like a lot. uh, 360 bushels of meal, 10 fattened cattle, 20 range cattle, 100 sheep and goats, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and pin-fed poultry. Only the organic stuff. For he had dominion over everything west of the Euphrates from Tifsa to Gaza and over the, all the kings west of the Euphrates. He had peace on all his surrounding borders. And throughout Solomon's reign, Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan to Beersheba, each person under his own vine and under his own fig tree. And Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Each of those deputies for a month in turn provided food for King Solomon and for everyone who came to King Solomon's table. They neglected nothing. Each man brought the barley and the straw for the chariot teams and the other horses to be required play, to the required place according to his assignment. So how the deputies worked is each deputy was assigned one month. 
So you, if you're, you're the February deputy, you were assigned to making, to, to making sure you have supplied enough food to give Solomon these provisions every day of that month. That's a lot of food to give a king every single day. So likely he was feeding thousands of people with this stuff. Because if you have a vast kingdom, you need vast resources. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so that's what he's doing. Now, here's the question. The question for you and me is how would a nation respond to something like that? Like this new taxation policy, how, how would people respond to that? How should they respond to that? So I got my uh, homeowner's uh, 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 appraisal, my, my home appraisal in the mail. I've got like one week left to protest it. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like angry that they have appraised my home at, at you know, whatever they praise it at. And I'm like, oh, I'm totally protesting that because I don't need to give our school district any more money than that. You know, like, and like I'm, I don't want to, because I don't want to pay more taxes than what I have to pay or than what I can legally pay. Like I want, I want to pay less uh, because if I pay less taxes, then I get more money in my own pocket. That's just how all of it works. And so typically when you see taxes going up, what is your standard response? Your frown's going down. That's kind of how it, do you like that? You bet you'll remember that one. And uh, so taxes go up, we get sadder. That's just how it naturally works. But there's a strange response in this text. I want you to see it. It's totally bizarre because taxes are going up on these people. Solomon, in his wisdom, has organized this nation to where he requires more taxes from the people. And look at their response in verse 20. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea, and they were eating, drinking, and rejoicing. This is a bizarre thing, a bizarre text for us. Because the tone of this text is decidedly positive. Like the, the tone of this text, when they're writing about it and they're talking about people's response, it was a really positive text. Like people try to kick Solomon at times. Like if you read a commentary about first Kings, people try to kick him for how wealthy he was or his taxation principles or whatever he does. But the reality is, this is God's being faithful to him and what he said he was going to do the last chapter. And Solomon needs resources. He's taxing his people. And all of a sudden the people are responding by rejoicing because the kingdom is kind of like a big feast. That's what this text says. And so, and so what you're seeing here in this text is a picture of a well-organized, prosperous, sustained kingdom of peace. Remember, they have peace on all borders. All the nations, surrounding nations, are offering tributes. They have peace on all... So you have a well-organized, prosperous nation that is surrounded by peace and is governed by a godly king who holds God's wisdom. That is the picture here. And the people, as a result, are filled with joy and feasting as they serve the king. That is, that is a, crazy, a crazy picture for me. And in the text, we're given an illusion, actually, of one reason why they're feasting. We're given an illusion back to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, 
Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac for God. And God came and said, okay, no, 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 I see your heart, your willingness. Now, I'm not going to make you do that. But because of your faithfulness, I am going to make your descendants like the sand of the seashore. That's what he says. And now, here under Solomon's reign, we see a godly king organizing his kingdom under God's wisdom. And we see that the people have become what he promised Abraham they would become like the stars in the sky, the sky and, and numerous as the sand by the sea. God has been faithful to his promise to his people, and he's giving them a glimpse of what his kingdom is supposed to look like. That's what he's showing them here. And so now, under King Solomon, his promise to Abraham was fulfilled. The kingdom of peace has been established, and this is ushering in the golden years of God's people under God's king. That's what's happening in 1 Kings chapter 3. God is faithful to his promises. That's what he's saying in verse 20. God is faithful. He said he was going to do it, and now he has fulfilled it. But as we're going to see as we'll see coming up in the next several chapters, really coming about chapter 11, is that this great triumph for the nation is not going to last forever. In fact, it won't even survive this king. Um, and so there's God's grace for this moment, for this single day, this time for them in which they get a glimpse of what God's kingdom is really supposed to look like. They're getting this glimpse of this. And so for this moment in history, this time in and of itself anticipates this great multitude of people who are going to come together to celebrate and to feast with joy because the king they serve, King Jesus, will one day establish his kingdom. And it will look a lot like this, in which it will be protected, it will be organized, and it will be surrounded by peace for the benefit of everyone who is involved in it. For the benefit of everyone who lives by faith in Jesus Christ. That is what this day in Solomon's life is pointing to in anticipation of, of this day in which Jesus comes with his kingdom. And so the process that began at the cross when Jesus died and rose again will come to fruition at his return. And that will begin the never-ending feast for all of us as we are ushered into Jesus' kingdom forever. Let me read you one thing from Revelation chapter 19. And then I heard... Something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the sound of rumbling, uh, rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, to, because the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. It's 19.6. Here's verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has, been pre has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints and then he said to me right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the lamb 
And he also said to me, these words of God are true. Solomon's day, Solomon's kingdom was pointing to the coming kingdom of God's Messiah, Jesus, our king, whom we serve, who lives in us, for, who lives in all who believe in him. And one day he is going to return for us and complete what he began at the cross in bringing his peaceful kingdom for all of us to dwell in forever. And so that is the promise of 1 Kings 4. That is the promise of 1 Kings 4. And so if you don't know Jesus, you can. If you never began a relationship with him, here's how you do it. You say, Jesus, you died on the cross for me, for my sins. And so now I want to repent or turn away from my sins and follow you with my life. Because I believe that your death was good and applies to me. And after you tell him that, you get up and you tell someone else that. And that's how you begin the process of discipleship. And for everyone else, this is what we do. We await his kingdom. And while we do that, we bring order to the chaos of our world. And so become like him. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come before you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for 1 Kings chapter 4, in which you get to, you, you reveal to us so many things that we would typically gloss over, but you reveal to us so many good things about you and about the gospel within this. And so help us to believe, help us to understand. Um, and in response, through our faith, help us to be people who become like Jesus in bringing order to the chaos of our lives. While we wait on him to bring about his perfect kingdom uh, for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.